All right, we're going to jump into our sermon series. We are continuing our series that we're calling Go, Our Great Commission. I think this fits in with the missions window really well. It's about a command that Jesus gave to, to his followers in the book of Matthew. It's the end of the book of Matthew, and it is something that we are commanded by the Lord to do, the Great Commission. So let's read, by way of recap, uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and here's what the Great Commission is. Jesus, at this point, he has uh, been crucified, and then he's risen from the dead, but he's not yet ascended to the Father. So there's this period of time where he shows up and talks to his disciples every now and again. Wouldn't it be amazing to have that happen? Like we're having church and Jesus just has been crucified and risen, but he hasn't ascended yet. And so he just comes to the meeting and says, oh, hey, by the way, let me tell you this. That's what happened with this. And then, and then Matthew wrote this down. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the mission of the church. We are to go into all the world, to all nations, and bring the truth of God and help people learn how to follow the truth of God. It's what we're called to do. It's the Great Commission. Now, sadly, uh, I've heard this referred to, you know, tongue-in-cheek as the Great Suggestion, not the Great Commission. I like to call it the Great Omission. Uh, It's something that is very important, very significant, very powerful. It's what we're called to do, and we can't just set it aside. We have to understand this is part of following Christ, to bring the gospel to the whole world. When I got saved years ago, no one had to tell me that it was important to save people from hell. It just seemed natural. If someone's going to hell, we should try to help them. Amen? Amen. No one had to convince me that that was an important thing to do. We should do our part, and we should try to uh, advance the kingdom of God by following the Great Commission. Now, it did take me a while to understand that we needed to lead people into abundant life in Christ. I was a sacrifice guy. You know, I was a suffer guy. And there's more to following God than suffering. Amen? Isn't that good news? (laughs) But it took me a few years to figure that one out. You know, I was good with the suffering and let's help people. uh, But we also need to walk into abundant life in Christ. Both of those things are vitally important. I don't believe that witnessing is our most effective evangelistic tool. I think it's the life that we live. If we live freedom in Christ, if we live victory in Christ, if we live in the character of God, led by the Spirit of God, walking in the love of God, able to forgive as God forgives, if we can do that, then people will want to know how do they get a hold of the thing that we have. And that will make sharing the gospel very easy. If you've got things working and people want to know how to get things working for themselves and then you can just tell them, that's easy. If your life isn't working and you say to people, hey, come be a hypocrite like me. Come have your life fall apart like me. It's not going to work very well. 
So we need to live the life ourselves. That's the power of walking in the freedom and wisdom and abundant life in Christ. And that's good for everybody. It's good for you because you get to walk in abundant life. And it's also good for your witness. Amen? Amen. Last week we talked about Jesus modeling the Great Commission in his own life. He didn't sit in heaven and say, you people need to do something. He came here. He went himself. Jesus came to this earth. He took a significant downgrade in lifestyle to come here. He went from heaven to a manger. That's a significant downgrade. He worked and lived a normal life. He was 30 years old when he began his ministry. So he grew up. He had you know, his normal life. He's working a job until he's 30 years old where he becomes, uh, you know, he walks into who he was, uh, what he was here to do, to be the Messiah, to be the one who brings freedom from sin to the world. But he, he went himself and he was patient and he showed what a sinless life is like. He did that and then he sent people. Jesus went and he sent. He sent out the 12, he sent out the 72, and in the Great Commission, he sends out the church. So Jesus lived as the example. So today, we talk about the power in the name of Jesus and the authority of the believer. The authority of the believer. Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18 that we read, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So how much authority has been given to Jesus? All of it. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Now that, of course, makes sense. Wouldn't we assume that he had that already? I mean, he he was there at the creation of the universe. You know, uh, everything that's been made has been made by him. You know, this is the the Alpha and the Omega. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. He had a whole lot of authority at the beginning, but now he's demonstrated something by living in obedience to his heavenly Father and walking through this life, submitting himself to crucifixion and death, and now he has risen to life. And so the believers at the time, when they saw the resurrected Christ, thought, yeah, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to you. You had authority to lay down your life, and you had authority to pick it up again. Like, that's not a normal thing. And they were very amazed at him, but when he says all All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. What does that mean to us today? It means two very important things that we're going to talk about this morning. The first thing, if all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him, he has authority over us. He has the authority to tell us what to do. How does that play in Western Christianity? He has authority to tell us to go. And then... The other thing that we're going to cover is if we're going under Christ's authority, He is the one who is backing us. We can walk in authority because the authority that Christ has is transferred to us. This is a very powerful thing. So let's talk about these two aspects of there being power in the name of Jesus. First one, there is power in the name of Jesus to send us. 
Jesus has authority to send us. The next word after he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, verse 19, the next word is, therefore, go. Therefore, since all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says, you go. He's got authority to tell us what to do. Amen? Is that exciting and fun? Yeah. The second part will be way more fun. But here's the deal. Jesus is Lord. What does Lord mean? It means the one, yeah, it means master. It means the one who has authority over someone else. If Jesus is your Lord, he's the one who has authority over your life. If Jesus says jump, you say, how high? And that's not very enthusiastic. You know, <laughs> yeah, I got I got to tell, I got to ask a question. Can you grudgingly do God's will? No, because God's will is not that you do so grudgingly. So if Jesus says jump, you say, oh, you're doing much better with a smile on your face. How high, you know, Uh, it's different than the drill sergeant. You know, that's you don't smile to the drill sergeant. You can smile at Jesus and say, oh, we're supposed to jump now. Great. How high? Be excited about it. It's a good thing. (laughs) Trying to make this fun as best as I can. All right. But the reality is Jesus is Lord. He has power over us, and that means we don't get to say no to Jesus and claim him as our Lord at the same time. You don't get to say, no, Lord, I'm not going to do what you say. It just doesn't make sense. Jesus noticed that. Luke 6, 46, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? It doesn't make sense. Why do you call me master and ignore me? Why do you call me master and then think everything's a suggestion? Or you can just pick and choose what you want to do and what you don't do. We have a Lord. Amen? In the old days, yeah, I'm old now. I I act young, but I'm an old man. (laughs) I'm planning to live a long time, though. So I'm going to be around for a long time. But there used to be a phrase that, you know, he does that religiously. And what that meant was never wavering, no matter what the sacrifice needed to be to be able to do it, they would do it. I wonder what the the young generation thinks if somebody were to say that. They do that religiously. Oh, whenever they have extra time and they actually feel like it. You know, it's got to be a different feel, right? Is that that okay? Eh, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to our Lord Jesus. And so he has authority to tell us to go. He has authority to give us commands to say jump and we say how high. Amen? That's good. The good news is, is that Jesus is a fantastic Lord. He's a Lord that loves you. When he gives you a command, it's either to help you or to help somebody else. He doesn't give you commands just to make your life more miserable and to see if you'll be able to, uh, you know, to deal with suffering just for its own sake. He gives us commands so that we can make advancement, bring light into darkness. Sometimes you've got to fight to do the things he's called you to do and told you to do. But he's telling you that to make your life better, to make other people's lives better, to help out. That's why he gives commands, because he likes us. He's trying to help. So we should listen because our Lord is a good Lord. He's a foot-washing Lord. He's a going-to-the-cross kind of Lord. He's a die-for-you, love-you 
serve you, Lord. We must be able to say yes, Lord, to a Lord like that. Amen? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Him. So He has authority over us. So when He says go, we say yes, Lord. Now remember, we talked about last week, you only have to do your part. Do you need to adopt a thousand children from foster care to solve the problem in Minnesota? No. You need to do your part. There are 2.3 billion Christians on the planet. I heard that statistic maybe a year ago. And you know what my first thought was? 2.3 billion Christians? Well, it must not all be up to me then. Amen? That's a lot of help. That's like a, a fourth of the world's population or better. That's a lot of help. It's not all up to me. It's not all up to you. But we need to be faithful to do our part. Because if we all do our part, then the body of Christ is functioning in its fullness and the power of God comes to this earth and that's amazing and glorious and wonderful. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now the problem comes when you have to do your part and then the part of the person next to you who didn't show up and the part of the other person next to you who didn't show up. And so now you've got to do three people's part and you start to get tired and then you get burned out and then the next person has to pick up all three of those parts and that's where it all falls apart. So do your part and don't hang the other believers out to dry. Amen? Then we can stand in the power of God doing what He says and seeing the glory of God come. So that's part one. Jesus has authority to send us. Jesus has authority to tell us what our mission is, and we say, yes, Lord. You're responding very nicely for a Western congregation. I appreciate that, because we must submit to our God. Part two is that when His authority tells us what to do, then we don't go on our own, but we're going under His authority, and that's a big deal. Because we don't represent ourselves, but we represent our Lord. We represent Jesus. We represent Almighty God, and we are going with that distinction on us. If someone is wearing a uniform, they represent what that uniform stands for. So if they have a United States military uniform on and you try to accost them, are you accosting an individual? No, you're accosting the United States of America. (laughs) There's something standing behind that uniform. And it's the same thing when we go with Jesus. This is how uh, James 4-7 works. So let's let's read James 4-7. James 4-7 says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So we are given a command to resist the devil, and that the devil will flee. What does flee mean? It means run away. It doesn't mean get defensive. It doesn't mean just take a step back and reevaluate the situation. It means run away. Now, how does that work? I've got a mental picture about how James 4, 7 works. And it's like this. The devil comes to me. Or some, you know, usually in the form of a wrong thought. You're a worthless piece of junk that's never going to amount to anything. And then, is that true? No, that's not true. That's not scriptural. I'm not going to believe that lie. So I have to tell that, I have to resist that lie. So, a wrong thought, I say, I'm not going to believe that. 
Get away from me. Simplest thing to do when the enemy comes after you is say, shut up and get out. I've had so many testimonies about shut up and get out. Very effective. Shut up, get out. And then the devil flees. You know, and I stand there all fancy. Get out. And the devil will leave. And here's how I picture it. So I'm standing there all tough. And behind me is a thousand foot tall Jesus going, you know what to do. And am I actually accomplishing it? No, but since I'm standing underneath the authority of Christ, he's backing me up. I can't resist the devil and make him flee on my own. But if Jesus is behind me, if I've got authority transferred from him to me, then he is backing me up and he'll make the devil flee. And I can trust in that. If I'm going on my own, if I miss the first part of James 4, 7, first part, very important, submit yourselves then to God. So accept God as your Lord, submit yourselves to God, then resist the devil. Don't get it the other way around because you'll end up in the seven sons of Shiva situation from Acts chapter 19. Acts 19, 13 through 16 says this. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. So these were people who had a business driving out demons. And they had went to the latest conference, apparently, and they got the books and they found out that the followers of Jesus were having the greatest success. So they said, we want to do best practices. And so they went out and they got into their uh, you know, business and they're driving out demons and they're like, okay, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, get out. You know, shut up and get out. How did that go? Verse 14. Seven sons of Shiva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Jesus I know, and I know about Paul because he's wearing the uniform. Who who are you again? What authority do you have? Why can you tell me what to do? Next verse. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Did that go well? No, very, very poorly. You notice a difference between James 4, 7 and Acts 19. James 4, 7 has the thousand foot Jesus standing behind you. And Acts 19 has you going out on your own. So we want to be under the authority of Christ and then walking in the authority of Christ. That authority is transferred just like putting on a military uniform. Let's read a couple of verses. Matthew 10, 1 and Luke 10, 19. These are verses we read last week, but I want to look at this specific piece of it. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So Jesus called the 12, and when he sent them, he also gave them authority. He transferred authority to them so that they could do things that on their own they weren't capable of doing. Can Jesus heal the sick and drive out evil spirits? Yes. So if you're going under his authority and you're just basically being a conduit for that authority, then you can do the same thing. Not on your own. It's not you doing it. It's the power of God. But we can walk in that authority. Isn't that something? Now can you understand how you are able to resist the devil and make him flee? 
because we're under his authority. This isn't just an a isolated situation. Luke 10, 19 says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. So here Jesus is giving authority again. He gives authority to us. So we need to make sure that we're not going on our own, making our own plan and deciding what we want to do and trying to get God to bless it like the seven sons of Shiva. Instead, we want to submit to God, be under his authority, go as he tells us, and then trust him to back us up when we go. Amen? You catching that one? Because that's a big deal. It's hard walking this life by yourself, especially when we have a big enemy to fight. But when you can have the power of God behind you and trust in Him and know it's His plan, you're just walking in obedience to His plan. You know, you don't get to make up your own plan. The, the military personnel don't get to say, well, let's just do whatever we want they got to follow what they've been told to do, the orders that they have. And it's the same way with us. We follow the orders we've been given. We run the play that Jesus has called, but then we know he backs us up when we do that. And when we do that well, it reflects very well on God. When we do that poorly, it reflects poorly on God. I want to read just a couple more verses here about when we do it well, that it reflects well on God when we do it poorly. It reflects poorly on God. I'm going to read a couple verses that, again, in Western culture, don't play that well, but I'm not looking to apply it to a specific situation. I want to apply this to our willingness to serve God and have a, the character of God. So let's look at 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2 says this, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. So don't nag them, don't belittle them, don't yell at them, that sort of thing. You know, uh, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word. So, so that if, how many husbands are out there? How many wives are out there? How many family members are out there? How many friends are out there that we have that don't believe in God? And what is the one thing they know about God? It's just who we are. People have said, some people, the only Bible they're ever going to read is you. We are ambassadors for Christ, representatives of Christ, if we want to be or not. It just comes with the territory. So that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. We'll just leave that at that. We need to win people over. Because we're walking in the character of God, walking in the love of God, walking in the joy of God, walking in the peace of God, having victory, walking in abundant life. If we can do that, it will win people over because they'll see what's going on in us. Amen? And don't you want joy and victory and peace? Don't you want that anyway? It's good for all of us. But if we fail, we end up in Romans 2. Romans 2, 23 and 24 says this. You who brag about the law, you who are aggressive, proud Christians, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. How many people are out there, do you think, who have a negative opinion of Jesus because of Christians that they have met and known? How common is that? In fact, there's a book. I think it's called, Why Do Bad Christians Happen to Good People? Meaning, 
that sometimes in our lives, we interact with people who are associated with Christ, but they're representing Christ very, very poorly. And the natural reaction to that is to transfer the negative emotions and the negative opinions beyond the person to God. That's very powerful. We must represent Christ well. Amen? So we walk under the authority of Christ. And this helps us also to deal with rejection in a healthy way. You know, when we're trying to serve God, we're, we're going out, we're endeavoring to see the Great Commission happen, there will be times where it's poorly received. When we try to, you know, just even preaching messages in church, you know, trying to share the gospel with other people, people who don't believe, it can be poorly received. Remember Matthew 10, 12, and 13 from last week. Very powerful, powerful word. Jesus is he's sending out the 12 and he says, As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. I need to make this a life verse. Because if I face rejection, if I face opposition and harshness, my peace doesn't tend to return to me. It tends to float off into space. You know what I mean? Like you step out, you're serving God, and then you get deeply criticized. You know, that doesn't bring my peace back to me. (laughs) It makes it go off into space. But what Jesus says is, let your peace peace return to you. And how can we do this? It's simply because if we are following the commands of our Lord because He has authority over us and we're walking in His authority, then it's not that we should take that personally. We're not even being rejected. It's God who's being rejected. Jesus says this, Luke 10, 16. Luke 10, 16. Jesus says, He who listens... To you, listens to me. He who rejects you, rejects me. But he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So when I go under Christ's authority and I face opposition, I shouldn't take it personally. It's people who are rejecting the Lord, people who are rejecting God. And so as we walk, now, is there a qualification I need to make here? If you're doing this well, you can claim this. If you're really bad at being a Christian, if you're a, you know, a hypocrite and you yell at people and are mean and, and you don't forgive and you hate people, then of course they're going to look at you and reject you personally. And it's because you're not following the ways of God. So don't be like that. That's a bad way to live anyway. It's hard on your heart. It's icky. It misrepresents God. Walk in the ways of God, under the authority of God, in the authority of God, And then when we face rejection and difficulty, it's not us who are being rejected. We can't take that personally. We just realize that God is being rejected. And here's the big danger of taking it personally. When you take rejection personally, it's hard then to go out and step out the next time. And then if you get rejected again and you take it personally, it's really hard to step out the third time. And what if the seventh time or the tenth time was the time that God was going to reach somebody and now you don't even try because you're so hurt from rejection. It's a tough thing. Pastor Clarence St. John, who planted the Assemblies of God Church in Hibbing, did altar calls every service for seven years before anyone responded. That's 
over 350 church services with no response. And he did an altar call every week. And then finally, after seven years, someone said, yeah, you know what? I need that. I wonder when I would have gotten discouraged. Probably week two. When we don't take it personally, we can just keep going. Well, maybe God will connect with this person. Oh, okay, peace returns to me. Well, maybe God will connect with this person. No, I guess not. Peace returns to me. Maybe this person. Oh, yeah, look at that. This is great. Then you can be happy. It's a powerful thing if we can grab hold of it. So Jesus has authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. So that means that he has authority to tell his followers what to do. So if you're a follower of Christ and Jesus says, do this, we say, yes, Lord, and we go. But when we go, we're not going in our own strength, under our own authority. We go under the authority of Christ, under God's power. It's a very, very important thing. The question I have now is, what has Jesus given us authority to do? You know, he told the twelve... Cast out demons and heal the sick. He told the others, you can trample on scorpions and snakes and nothing will hurt you. What do we have authority to do? When I was a new believer, have you ever met a very enthusiastic new believer? I came into faith in Christ through miraculous circumstances, so I knew God could do whatever He wanted to do. And when I was a new believer, I earnestly prayed and I put my faith on not needing to sleep ever again. I said, Lord, I'm busy, I'm working nights, I got stuff to do, I could be a lot more effective for your kingdom if I didn't need to sleep, I, it all makes sense to me, I'm asking you and I'm putting my faith on not needing to sleep. <laughs> How'd that work out? You know, it worked out pretty well for a while. Youth and enthusiasm will get you somewhere, but it'll eventually fall apart. And I literally, at one point, I was introduced to someone started talking to them, and fell asleep while I was talking to them. You ever ever been that tired where you can feel it, you know, and and things start to flutter, and you're starting to go, and you're like, I don't think I can save myself. And I just, boom, (laughs) I was out. I was so embarrassed. I'm like, I'm sorry, you're not boring. I'm just, I haven't slept in a really long time. There is no promise in the Bible that we will not need to sleep, that we can ask God for that. In fact, it says that we're supposed to rest. So that's not the type of authority he has given us. We can't just pick whatever random thing. We have to find out what has he called us to do? What has he sent us to do? What authority has he given us? And then we can walk in that authority. We don't want to get confused and pick something randomly that we want to do and then feel like God's let us down. We've just strayed off on our own. So we need to know what authority has he given us. I've got a few for sure's here. Jesus has given everyone, believer and unbeliever, authority to ask God for forgiveness. You don't need to wonder if He's going to back you up when you ask Him for forgiveness. The price has already been paid. You have the ability to ask God for forgiveness and to receive. Everyone who receives Jesus, He has given the right to become a child of God. We can step into who we are in Christ as a child of God, a co-heir with Christ. We don't need to be timid and wonder, well, now that I've received Jesus, am I really a child of God? Do I really belong? 
No, you do. You have a right to be a child of God. You've been given authority to step into your place in the family. He's given us authority to use our spiritual gifts. If He's given you a spiritual gift, what is it there for? He's given it to you. God has given you that to use it. So we have authority to use our spiritual gifts. As we read in James 4, 7, we have authority to make the devil flee. He's given us that authority. God gives us authority to pray for the sick. We can't, I don't believe we can heal the sick, but we can pray for the sick. And then God heals people. And we've been given authority to be a light in the darkness, to go into all the world and to shine the light of Christ into every dark corner. If that's the house next door, if it's inside your own house, if it's halfway across the world, He's given us authority to go into this world to do good, to bring light into the darkness. Our closing scriptures will be Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. There's a gift of God that I don't want anyone to miss. In a little bit when we pray, I'm going to give you the opportunity to say, Yes, Lord, I'm in. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Lord, of course, means He's the authority over you. He's your master. Savior means that He's the one who saves you, that rescues you. He's the one who redeems and forgives you. He's the one who saves you by grace. You have the opportunity to take that. Let's keep reading. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you believe that God prepares works, good works, in advance for you to do? God has a plan. You might just accidentally bump into someone later this afternoon, and it's part of God's plan. He's orchestrated it because He wants someone to reach that person, maybe just to encourage that person. He wants someone to be there for that person. He prepares works in advance for us to do. He's got a plan. We can walk in obedience to that plan. We can say, how high, with a smile on our face, or we can go, oh. and then the need can go unmet. The power doesn't happen. We need to walk into the plans God has for us that he's prepared in advance for us. So let's pray together. I'm going to ask you, if you haven't received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you to receive him this morning. And I'm going to have all of us seek God to see what the assignments are that He's already prepared for us. So let's go before the Lord. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, You are so good. We just worship You and we give You praise and we thank You for Your kindness and Your mercy and Your love. We thank You for that gift of salvation that You have given us. Lord, You are so good. We give You praise. Lord, for those here who need to say, yes, Lord, I'm in, I'll I'll accept you as Lord, please be my Savior as well. If you need to make that commitment to Christ and say say yes to Him, I want you to raise your hand. I'm not going to invite you down, but if that's you, put your hand up so I can see your hand. There's two hands. You can put your hands down. Heavenly Father, we pray blessings over those who raise their hands here this morning. We pray, Lord... Your forgiveness would just flow over them and that they would be washed clean and that you would just bring them up to understand who they are in you. Lord, bless them in mighty ways. And Lord, for all of us, 
we ask you to give us wisdom to understand the good works you've prepared in advance for us to do. Lord, let, let us understand the first good work is in our own heart, that you've got, you've got us to shine your light in our own hearts, to receive your spirit, to receive uh, the joy and the peace and, and to work on forgiveness and freedom in our own hearts. You want us to be free and to minister to ourselves and receive good things from you first, to freely receive and then freely give. Lord, give us wisdom to see what we need to do, what we need to receive personally and what we need to step into on the outside. Lord, guide us, give us wisdom. Let us not miss the moment when there's a, an opportunity that you've prepared in advance. Let us not be oblivious to it, but let us see it. And Lord, if there's things you've called us to and we're not seeing it, I pray you just flash that through our minds right now, that we would see it and have faith to get there. Lord, bless us in that way. Lord, I pray that you would just give us an extra measure of faith. Give us the gift of faith. Lord, give us joy. Give us peace. Father, help us to walk in freedom, to walk in forgiveness, to walk in your power as we're under your authority. And Lord, do help us to know how much you love us, Lord, so that we can love others with that same love. Encourage us in that way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.